I know it's past visiting hours, but can I please give her these flowers? The doctor don't want to take procedures. He claim my heart can't take the anesthesia. It'll send a body into a seizure. The little thing by the hospital bed, it'll stop beeping. Hey, chick, I'm at a loss for words. What do you say at this time? Remember when I was nine? Tell her everything gonna be fine, but I be lying. The family crying, they want her to live, and she trying. I'm arguing like, what kind of doctor can we find? You know the best medicine go to people that's paid. If Magic Johnson got a cure for AIDS, and all the broke motherfuckers passed away. You telling me if my grandma's in the NBA, right now she'll be okay. But since she was just the secretary worked for the church for 35 years things supposed to stop right here my grandfather trying to pull it together he's grown that's where i get my confidence from ask the nurse did you do the research she asked me can you sign some t-shirts bitch is you smoking reefer you don't see that we hurt but still I Room, room, you can feel my heartbeat, beat, beat. If she gon' pull through, we gon' find out soon. But right now she sleep, sleep, sleep. My mama say they say she could pass away any day. Hey chick, what these doctors know anyway? Let me see the x-rays. I ain't no expert, I'm just hurt. Cousin Kim took off of work. Plus my aunt Shirley, Aunt Beverly, Aunt Clay, and Aunt Jean. So many aunties, we could have an auntie team. Feel like A Marie, it's just one thing. When they said that she made it, you see the eyes gleam. Hey, yo, that was Kanye West Roses off of Late Registration. You know what it is. It's the Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamar Williams. I am always your host. Uh, welcome back once again. We always try to do a, a song that um, really try to get the theme going. I know it's a little bit of a morbid song, really. But uh, we're going to talk about a serious subject, uh, COVID and just everything surrounding. I know we did a podcast last week um, starting the political nature of it and just specifically within the state of Florida. Um, what I really wanted to do this time around is just kind of get into a whole philosophical, even more of a science-based um, uh, concept, just uh, COVID and all the conversations both on both who are um, with um pro for the vaccinations and those who don't actually believe in vaccinations, whether this COVID vaccination or just vaccinations in general. So we're going to get into that. Um, one of the things that I really thought about uh, just when I think about COVID, I think about uh, in 2007 and a junior senator out of Illinois announced for the presidency. And in around that time, um, he, you know, started to gain momentum as far as his candidacy. And soon thereafter, um, a billionaire out of New York started this concept that, you know, maybe he wasn't really born of the United States. And it was silly. It was really, really a silly thing. You know, like just the thought process that's how can somebody who's actually a junior senator and who's a congressman um, and just has matriculated throughout uh, U.S. society uh, all of a sudden is going to toss his hat into the presidency and not have a verified birth certificate. But this thing actually took hold, and it took hold of the country. And I think one of the things that was fascinating about it is that we got into this realm of believing in um, things that were normally just accepted 
now we were just kind of questioning it and questioning whether or not this is real. Or you had people on both sides saying, or one side in particular, saying that, you know what, um, this information that I've always accepted as being a verifiable fact, now I'm questioning it and I'm questioning the people that it's coming from. And I think that's really what started to happen within this country. We started really just things that were normally accepted or idea, uh, more or less, you, know, you had people that were like saying, questioning, like, uh, I don't really believe in that anymore. And the loudest voices in the room became those who were tend to just have to, they don't necessarily have the most information, but they're the most um, charismatic, rather. Uh, I actually believe that was the disease that really has started taking over this country. Uh, the idea that we were not trusting of one another and not trusting of things that we didn't even have to question before. Things that just normal, most people would just say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, question that makes sense. Why would why would somebody try to pull over our eyes about something as basic as their birth certificate or as what we're at now as saying something as science? Um, one of the things that I recently, my wife and I, uh, we had to take our car in for a, um, there was a dent in the car. And it was really was one of those weird things because the dent actually, I didn't know where it came from. I don't know, we just, but we surmised that it had to come from a Target parking lot. That's what, at least what my wife thinks. It had to happen in a Target parking lot. Somebody was, um, had, to, had a, a cart that actually ran into the back of the car. Now I had the insurance company come out, and they had to verify it and all these other things. And it really was one of those things where I thought about this concept of the cart, um, the responsibility, and how people um, naturally, all you have to do is put a cart back in its normal place. That's personal responsibility. You know, you're not going to help the world, but you're going to help the next car coming along. But the idea that most people just leave carts out and it just goes ahead and, and it does whatever. And it's not this idea of actually, I just want to protect the next person. It may not actually help me, but it will help the next person in society. It seems like a decent thing. But the matter, mere fact that, you know, it didn't happen and the cart actually hit my car and then we have to actually have to pay for it. And it's like we're dealing with the repercussions of somebody else's decision making. Now, it's not illegal for somebody not to put a cart in the, in the bay. It's not illegal. It's not illegal for you not to do anything, right? You're free. You have the free reign to do what you have to do, right? But we're all talking about personal responsibility, and you have the free will to operate in your own way. But your free will does affect other people. That's really what the concept of what we're dealing with right, right now. Does your free will affect other people? Yeah, it might be, you know, a little bit uh, esoteric, esoteric to really kind of think about what we're talking about in vaccines and a cart and even this thing about I just mentioned about the junior senator who ended up becoming a uh, duly elected president. But it all kind of ties in together. So we'll actually have that conversation and we're going to get into it. But before we do all that, I actually want to uh, first state thank you all for listening to this podcast on Culture Bias. If you're on Apple I'm sure you on Spotify. Thank you. If you're on Apple, please continue to rate the episode. Rate it on Apple. Leave a message. Leave a uh, um, say. Hey, you know, I love the podcast. Blah blah blah. Uh, you know, it helps with the algorithms. If in fact you're listening on a website, leave a comment on a website, kamarawilliams.com. Um, you know, we want to thank our sponsors, Compass Tax Advisors. You can reach them at eight five zero two seven three seven one nine three. That's mycompasstax.com. Um, if you're in a market for real estate in Central Florida, check out KeystoneGlobalRealEstate.com or 407-680-8510. Of course, you're in a market for a probate uh, guardianship uh, will 
um, anything, those uh, particular matters, uh, reach us at 888-SWTG-LAW. That's 888-SWTG-LAW. That's 888-798-4529 or Williams at SWTGLAW.com. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest. And I'm going to start off with an attorney out of Georgia, Cordell. You with me still? Yes, I'm here. How's it going? It's going well, man. Yeah, I appreciate you jumping on, bro. No, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. So, you know, I'm going to say this to uh, everybody, man. It's like Cordell and I actually, we got into a deb- debate. I wouldn't say it was a heated debate, but it was, a, it was a debate on social media. And I was just like, I always, I first, I follow Cordell because I do like that he has, him and I um, are, we're just say different thinkers, but we are willing to put our opinions out there and allow other people to argue the point. And um, one of the things I appreciate about Cordell is his unabashed um, opinion on matters, and he doesn't allow people to push him off his position because they have a different opinion of his. Um, so I really did appreciate it. And one of the things I did, I did reach out to a number of different people. They wouldn't jump on this pod, um, but Cordell, without hesitation, per usual, he just jumped on, and I appreciate you, bro. I really do. Oh, not a problem. I, you know, I, I always like to uh, share my thoughts. I don't expect everybody to agree with them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I like discussions because debates and discussions bring counter opinions, counter thoughts or expand, you know, the other side, whatever that may be. Right. Right. And one of the things I do love is that, you know, we're not trying to change each other's opinion. We're just having it, like you said, a discussion about it, you know? Right. So yeah, man, dope. All right. And you practice out in Georgia, um, uh, personal injury, business law and civil litigation. Correct. All right. Dope. So everybody who's in Georgia, check out my man Cordell Rowe. Um, you know, definitely somebody, um, that's, that's, uh, you know, knows what he's doing in that area. And you know, I can tell, cause you live a very great lifestyle, man. You travel everywhere. <laughs> so, By the grace of God. Yeah, man. Um, God's grace. It ain't how I grew up. Let me say that. That's, that's even more, that's even more spectacular, bro. All right. So the next guest I'm going to bring on, and before I even, I think it's proper that I give her a proper introduction by actually playing a clip on how she became uh, this national phenomenon um, on uh, social media. So check this out. Just kidding. This is my last video, but I oh, just I have not. to give you guys these little tools to have in your tool belt for when people try to question you about why you refuse to get it. Okay. Okay. Number one, the mRNA that they're using in it is completely synthetic. That is true. This is the first time they've ever done that in human history. Oh, that's not true. Number two, because it is completely synthetic, normally your body would immediately attack it and eradicate it. Oh, your body doesn't care if it's synthetic or not. It just wants to destroy foreign things. they had to coat that mRNA in a nanolipid. That is true. The purpose of that nanolipid is to keep your DNA from degenerating. Oh, that's not the job of the DNA. Enzymes do that. The vaccine would be completely useless. However, they have no idea how long it's going to take your body to be able to break down that mRNA. Uh, less than two weeks. Number three, because they don't know how long it's going to take that mRNA to break down, less that than two means weeks. that your DNA is going to be creating antibodies. Oh, no, B cells do that, not DNA. Indefinitely. All right. <laughs> Dr. Tracy, <laughs> you still with us? <laughs> I can't believe you played that clip, but okay. <laughs> hey, you know, we had to give the crowd a special um, introduction. I mean, I, I feel like, first of all, you can find uh, Dr. Tracy, a side time with Tracy on TikTok. And that's exactly what happened. Um, your video caught storm across the country. 
And um, how has that been, actually, the response behind that? Well, I actually didn't know that it caught on to anything beyond TikTok because I'm not on Twitter. And right. so it, somebody had to tell me, um, you're kind of trending on Twitter right now. So I, I found out that way, actually. Um, and the the play on the TikTok video was not as big as it is on Twitter. So that was a surprise, too, because on my TikTok channel, it's maybe got... I don't know, maybe close to a million views, but on Twitter it's trending towards 5 million. So it was a very different experience for me on the Twitter side. Yeah. I, that's how, how I found you um, on Twitter and you know, it was yeah, literally you were trending and I was like, God, this is great. And then I went into this rabbit hole of <laughs> your, of your videos on TikTok. I was like, Oh, this lady is amazing. Like, I mean, if you're ever on TikTok, go ahead and check her out. Uh, side time with Tracy on TikTok. She, does a great job of breaking down just different things regarding this COVID or just science in general. And um, I know you don't give out your last name, so but we want to tell people that you are a retired college professor and you have a, a PhD in microbiology and immunology, right? Am I saying that immunology? Am I say, did I say it right? Immunology. Immunology. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're there. I'm there. I'm I'm in the, I'm in the, uh, on the same street. May not be at the house, but I'm the same street. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, thank you guys for both uh, joining me, joining me, man. And um, you know, so let's like really just kind of get into it. Really, uh, I'm gonna pause this conversation first to you, Dr. Tracy. Uh, what exactly is COVID? Right, just in a basic sense, like because we've heard it's actually been around long a lot longer than 2020 so so covid is is an acronym for coronavirus infectious disease of 2019 and it's very specific to uh, the virus SARS-CoV-2 so it think of it like HIV and AIDS HIV is the virus and AIDS is the disease mm -hmm. SARS-CoV-2 is the virus and covid-19 is the disease SARS-CoV-2 was not previously known prior to probably November, December of 2019. There's no record of it that, that, that I've seen. Okay. So I, you know, we'll get kind of get into some, some conspiracy theories because there's, there's one going out that has been around since the sixties and they've been, you know, working on it and they haven't had, they've, they've tried and failed on vaccines and, you know, there's a number of different things just floating out there, but in your, from your study, it's, it's, that's not true. Well, so I think what might be the confusion here is that that SARS-CoV-2 belongs to a family of viruses mm -hmm. called coronaviruses. And there have been, we've known about coronaviruses for decades, and we have been working on different aspects of different coronaviruses for a long time. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I see a lot in conspiracy theory and sort of misinformation is just a, a grain of truth that's been twisted into a not truth. And so, yes, we've been working on coronaviruses. We have not been working on this coronavirus for decades. And I, that's, I think that's probably the easiest way to explain that. Got you. Got you. Cordell, like what, when you've heard about coronavirus or COVID in 2020, um, did you necessarily believe in it or did you think it was real? Or did you think it was, do you, do you still think it's something that's a manufactured or like what, I mean, what are your thoughts on it? All right. Let me first say I'm the ultimate computer. Uh, conspiracy theorist. Okay, <laughs> so we're gonna get that out there in the open. But okay. I am not the conspiracy theorist that just says things and just it becomes, it you know, it's just out there. I'm getting it from other people. As you know, 
when I post stuff, I'm usually the first one to say stuff before it even becomes main sprint, main strength, uh, stream. And I usually have what I consider facts behind my thought process. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I've heard of, uh, COVID-19, uh, since 2019, there was an event, uh, by Bill Gates called event 201 with that happened in October, uh, in New York of 2019 they did a pandemic scenario about this disease and in that uh pandemic uh scenario that they did for all the global uh for all the global you know high power figures because the world has to come together and practice this stuff this is just what they do Mm -hmm. it's nothing new it's just a new disease you know pick a disease that that they deem will be a pandemic someday and you know, they have to practice it, which is only fair, you know. Now, that being said, in this particular situation in October in New York, and specifically Event 201, they, um, and this stuff is online, so you can Google it, Bill Gates and John Hopkins Foundation and some other big players that do this stuff all the time, they came together on what we know now as the coronavirus. Uh, According to that event, they said it's not this coronavirus, it's just a coronavirus that be, can be a pandemic, uh, and that they didn't predict it. But the facts of the whole scenario mimicked exactly what was going on, minus the amounts of death, which is why in the beginning of all of this stuff happening, there was a prediction of so many potential deaths that were going to, that was uh, supposed to occur. So whether or not it was derailed because of the the quarantines or mass mandates or things like that is a whole nother conversation but that's when i first knew of it so i in uh early january of 2020 and i was actually supposed to go to china Mm. and this was the break the outbreak was happening in wuhan because as you know i travel all over the world all the time at random and so in this case, I was randomly traveling for my birthday, which was supposed to be in February. Well, it is in February, not supposed to be, which was in February. Um, and it was the Chinese New Year. Mm. Well, my contacts in China was telling me, don't come. They're shutting down. Uh, and it's the Chinese New Year. So don't come. We don't know what's going to happen. So that was my first introduction. I still traveled that time because i ended up going to um dubai and south africa i remember you did it with your niece right yeah i did it with my niece yeah i got a memory bro (laughs) (laughs) we had a really good time but that initial trip was not supposed to be dubai and south africa it was supposed to be china going to um you know the different major cities um there but like i say i was getting these phone calls that all of this stuff was happening and nobody really knew what it was because it was still in Wuhan and my friends were in Shanghai, Beijing and some of these other cities. Um, so I had some on the ground things. I was like, you know, all right, I'm not chancing it. I like my life. You know, mm-hmm. let me pause it. Uh, I didn't have any issues redirecting my travel. So it was not a big thing for me. But what I did notice traveling internationally is they were already preparing for it. Uh, and the airport. So they were scanning us. Uh, this was early January. They were scanning us 
through basic protocols with the temperatures and some other protocols to make sure we were okay. I was already wrapped up because it's something I do normally on long flights anyway. Mm-hmm. But that was happening in the Middle East and in South Africa, even though it had not hit the U.S. yet. By the time I made it home, by the time I made it home in America, uh, remember when Donald Trump kind of called everybody back and the airports were just stuck with people? Yeah. I was home by that time. And so that was all of that was my introduction of something's going to happen in the world. Um, because again, I already knew about what was happening with the event 201. Mm-hmm. I already knew what was happening when I was traveling. It was just a matter of, I didn't know the world was going to shut down. Like who could predict that? Mm-hmm. But that's where the coronavirus was first introduced to me very early in, in the stages. And I start making these posts about, I'm not going to be quarantined. <laughs> gotcha. So I, I would say this, I actually knew about the um, COVID um, back in December, late November, because that's when you start. I mean, I, I just don't follow us news. I follow, you know, international news. And I knew that oh. it was something that was prop- cropping up. So it wasn't, although the U S started look really taking hold of it in like February. Um, I, I knew it was something back in 2020. Uh, Dr. Tracy, I saw that you were shaking your head at, it, <laughs> during several parts of uh, Cordell's uh, conversation. What was one of the things that um, raised your eyebrows a little bit about what he said? Yeah, so I want to get back to the, uh, the, the practice, the event that um, we were talking about or okay. that Cordell was talking about because I think it's, it's really important to, to sort of parse that out and what public health officials and what people do in order to practice this kind of thing. And I'm going to point to a book by Michael Osterholm called uh, The Deadliest Enemy. And it was written in 2017. And if you read that book, it's very prophetic what a global pandemic would look like. Now, Michael Osterholm used the book as a way of talking about an influenza pandemic. But when the, and he was actually part of the group that was meeting in that in the fall of 2019 that we're talking about here that Cordell was talking about. Um, so this people have been talking and predicting a global pandemic for a long time. Yeah. Now, which organism that they choose to talk about is based uh, often in what they think might be the most reasonable. All of them are respiratory diseases. That's the one that everybody's afraid of is a respiratory disease. Influenza is one potential respiratory disease and coronaviruses are another. The reason that the death toll was was described as much higher in in this particular um, event was because they were basing it off of the two coronavirus outbreaks that we've had in the past, which is SARS in 2003 and MERS in, I think it's 2012. I, I never remember that date. But anyway, the the those two particular coronaviruses one they hey if these really take hold this is going to be a really big problem and these kinds of tabletop exercises happen all the time the fact that it happens you know it, just before we have an actual pandemic is timing everyone has been everyone in public health has been saying we will have a pandemic right. it will look like this and here are the ways that we think people are going to act politically and problematically. So that's what I wanted to point out for that, for that event. That was not a precursor to say this is going to happen. And then it happened. It was, there was a tabletop exercise about pandemics based in the prediction that there would be a pandemic 
and then there was right right um and and i think that i think that all of us were sort of marginally aware in december about what was happening i was aware because i was getting updates from this uh uh service that i use called uh promed and it's basically infectious disease as it pops up over the world and i was getting some email alerts from them about it um i really didn't think it was going to be that big a deal because you get if you see these things you see these you know these kind of infectious outbreaks happen all the time right. and they can be quite scary and if we were to think about them as a pandemic i was surprised at the speed with which this particular virus took hold and went around the world the way that it did so you know i i i was surprised but i really wasn't um because we are a globalized society and you know even when we try to uh, practice politically a sense of austerity within our um, you know, practices, uh, it's not going to work because we, because people, people like Cordell are traveling <laughs> around the world. We should, right? Um, because yeah. that's actually how you become a more uh, a well-rounded individual when you travel and you interact with different subcultures and cultures and, and societies and things of that nature. So it didn't really shock me. I think what shocked me was that people really thinking that it wasn't going to get to the U.S., I think that's what kind of what's like the thing. I was like, well, what, do, what do you like? What? What do you mean it's not going to get to America? Like, do you realize how <laughs> I live in central Florida and in 2019 uh, or MCO, which is the airport here in central Florida, was considered the busiest airport on this eastern seaboard, the busiest e- airport. So that's just one airport. <laughs> and so, you know, we're international. I live in an international city, literally, because that's where Disney's located. Um, everybody around the world come to D- Disney. And so for me, I was like, yeah, it's definitely coming to Central Florida. And I know it's definitely coming to major metropolitan areas within the United States. And then just therefore it's going to spread. So that didn't really shock me. And I know in 2016, maybe 2017, uh, President Obama, or no, 2015, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, President Obama, he uh, had, he was on a panel and he said something to the effect of, you know, there is going to be, to your point, a um, global pandemic and it's just something we have to prepare for because this is just literally where society's at at this point and so um it's kind of like i don't know Cordell, are you in the military have you done your military for military no i'm not in the military okay all right so like just in the military they, they run um war games right all the time right, right? and they it's anticipatory in how they look at scenarios and it's not like they're actually going to war with other um, friendly countries, but they have to do these things to anticipate movements and ideas and strategy. And they do these things, even in the most extreme senses, they talk about, you know, world nuclear war uh, Holocaust and all these things, other things that happen. It's definitely, it's a a defined uh, objective of preparation. And I think that's really what we saw when you had these panels that were happening, describing any form of virus, um, and I think people kind of took that and ran with it and said that, oh, okay, well, you know, this is just an example of, you know, this is um, can, this government created disease in order to um, restrict or constrict or, you know, destroy uh, the fabric of society, which, you know, I think was just really fascinating. Um, so I'm going to actually play a clip from, I'm usually not in the, the habit of playing other people's podcasts, but I think this is important. Uh, so I'm going to play one podcast. I'm actually, I'm going to play two clips from the same podcast. So uh, bear with me. It's Joe Rogan. 
science is coming out. There's legitimate articles. Jamie, I'll send this to you now. There's legitimate because doctors have been sending me these things. And, you know, this is neither pro nor con vaccine. I'm not, this is not a judgment statement. But imperfect vaccination can enhance the transmission of highly virulent pathogens. Right. So this is a scientific paper um, from 2015 that shows that if here's it said there's this one important quote vaccines that keep the host alive but still allow transmission oh. can thus allow virulent strains to circulate in a population so vaccines that don't kill the virus vaccines that allow people like this is one of the things we're finding out about what they're calling breakthrough cases right so people who are vaccinated can still get covid and they can still transmit covid mm -hmm. this recently happened at the comedy store a vaccinated comedian gave covid to like 12 different fucking people at the comedy store some of them vaccinated some of them not that situation where the vaccine just kind of protects you from serious damage right but d it protects you from really being like badly uh, hospitalized <laughs> or death but doesn't stop you from getting the virus can possibly lead to more potent viruses so these people that are saying oh it's these unvaccinated people that are responsible for the variants well there's actually scientific papers that point to the very sort of environment that we're creating by having so many people vaccinated with a vaccine that doesn't kill off right. the virus it actually can lead to more potent viruses try finding and that story do anyway. what you want to do unless you do what i want you to do I mean, Don Lemon was talking about that openly on CNN. Yeah. Don't have a vaccine? Can't go to a supermarket. Don't have a vaccine? Can't go to work. Like, It's so strange that people want to say things like that. Like, that's the thing that blows me away. Why do you, why do people want to? Because uh, they're dumb. They're dumb. Right? They're dumb. They don't understand history. They don't understand <laughs> right. human beings. They don't understand yeah. human nature. They don't understand the history of Every single country that's ever existed mm -hmm. other than the United States up until 1776 Every fucking country that has ever existed was run by dictators right all of them This is the first one where you had elected officials. This is the first Experiment in self-government that actually worked and it created the greatest superpower the world's ever known It created the greatest cultural machine the greatest machine of art and creativity and innovation right fucking here and how did it do that it did it through freedom because when you give people freedom you let people do whatever the fuck they want to do they actually find ways to succeed and grow and thrive but as soon as you put the boots to them as soon as you tell them you have to do this or you can't do that you have to listen to me now you have a mini dictator you right. have one step away from a king you have a one step closer you're moving one step closer to dictatorship. That's what the fuck is happening. That's what's going to happen with a vaccine passport. That's what's going to happen if they close borders. You can't enter New York City unless you have your papers. You can't go to here unless you have that. You can't get on a plane unless you do what I say. And people say, whoa, it's all about protecting people from the... Mm. No, it's not. It's not because we've shown this is a fact. It, just a couple of months ago, the idea of a breakthrough case was unheard of. Nobody heard of anybody catching COVID that had a vaccine, right? right? That was the whole idea. You get a vaccine, you don't have to worry about it. Now we know not only do you get it, but you can spread it. 
And some people have died. Apparently, it's a small number. I don't know what the numbers are, but I know that most people who get vaccinated, when they do have the disease, they have a better time of it than Mm -hmm. the people who are unvaccinated. But where are the people out there calling for people to get healthy? Where are the people out there calling for people to lose weight? Seven. So, all right, there's, this is a there was a lot to unpack in that, right? Um, yeah, I, I saw, listen, Dr. Tracy was like she was writhing in her chair. She was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, so, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to um, I'm gonna let you start first on the first part of the discussion. Let's we're, we'll get into the idea of you know, the freedom and a vaccine passport. Because I think, Cordell, you would like to address that. Um, I saw you kind of nodding and not uh, gnawing at the bit to address that one. So we'll start with the first part with, you know, how he's discussing the science, air air quotes, behind um, the vaccine. What what were your thoughts on that, Dr. Tracy? Yeah, I think it's really important to recognize that um, Joe Rogan was taking some information that does exist and not actually saying all of the things about that paper or about that scientific experiment or that, that, you know, those conclusions, just sort of running with it. So let me sort of, I'm going to have to unpack a few things so yeah. bear with me on this. Yeah. So first of all, he said that, um, that if you were vaccinated and you spread the disease that, uh, that if you had this people who were vaccinated, but could still transmit the disease, that somehow that was going to make everything worse and it was going to drive um, the variants around. That is assuming that every single person is vaccinated, that there is no unvaccinated people in the mix. Because Mm -hmm. if you have unvaccinated people in the society, in the mix, in the population, they are more susceptible to being infected by the virus, just straight up on a numbers game, they're more susceptible. Right. by having, uh, by having, you know, the statement that he's making that if you have vaccinated people, so this is a thought experiment because it'll never happen that we have a hundred percent vaccinated. Right. So let's just <laughs> let's work it from that angle. If you have um, everyone vaccinated, the only viruses that are able to pass within a vaccinated population are those viruses that can infect vaccinated people. Now, prior, and he makes reference to this, prior to the emergence of the Delta variant, we were able to show that vaccinated people, even if they did get infected, were not producing enough virus to transmit the virus to someone else. So in that way, vaccinated people were actually stopping the transmission, right, with them, right? So that's why the CDC said, prematurely, I will add, that vaccinated people could take off their masks because the data was very clear. Vaccinated people who did get infected were not making enough virus to pass it along to someone Mm. else. All things have changed because of this new variant, Mm. which is showing up at a, it's about three times more infectious. There's about a thousand times more virus being made by individuals who are infected. And that is just changing the numbers game. And so now people who were protected because they had a vaccine on board and they were capable of protecting themselves from a certain number of viruses, which would be normal with the other variants. Now they are 
well, the, I guess the easiest thing to say is there's just their, their immune system, their vaccinated immune system is now overwhelmed by the number of viruses that the Delta variant is spewing out, you know, is capable of spewing out to people. So I think that it's disingenuous for Joe Rogan to say that it's all about the vaccinated people. It's also important to note that if you look at the numbers, which he says, I don't know the numbers, I don't know the numbers, you can, if he's, you know, we always say do your own research or, or Google it or whatever, those numbers are completely available. And it's very, very clear from the data that vaccinated people are between eight and 10 times less likely to be infected, period. So we're already starting with a smaller number of people who are getting infected. So if we, if we do the statistics or the probability numbers game here, and we know that regardless of who the virus is in, if it has a chance to replicate, it could mutate and become a more dangerous variant. It doesn't care whether it's in a vaccinated person or a non an unvaccinated person. The numbers are the, overwhelmingly, it's going to come from probabil probabilistically, it's going to come from an unvaccinated person. Could it possibly come from a vaccinated person where we get this new variant? Absolutely. But it's just less likely because of the numbers. So I just wanted to kind of lay that out because I think it's it's when you hear Joe Rogan and he is just so cocksure about what he's saying. That's part of and his charisma. That is part of his charisma, but it's also part of of what I think is dangerous about someone like him. Yeah. So I, and I think the, the danger in my mind is that he has a huge audience and he doesn't have to produce a lot of, of information or data to back himself up. He just says, scientists tell me this and then. I don't have to, I don't have to show those numbers. I just have to seed confusion and doubt. And that's essentially what he does well. Right. Can I, can I jump in and defend him just a little bit? <laughs> oh, you, absolutely. I don't, I don't even listen to him. This is the first time I've heard that podcast, but you know that he's probably saying some of the same things that I, I say. And a lot of times I say these things early on so that they can be questioned. Mm -hmm. And uh, on my post, they're always questioned. You know, it's a huge following that goes back and forth. And I say I'm pretty early. So, you know, nobody can say that I'm getting them from any talking points. Right. right? Mm -hmm. But to me, just a little bit about my background. Uh, also, even though I'm an attorney, I also studied international affairs and physics and astronomy. Uh, so I do have a, a science background and I do have an international background. Sometimes I look at things on the global scale of all of these different issues, which is why I always push back on these freedom issues. That being said, the Joe Rogans of the world, they come from the layman's point of view. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when the media is talking, they're also talking about coming from the layman's point of view, because these writers that are writing these articles of the, the major media networks, they're not scientists, they're not doctors, they're not you know, PhD uh, scholars or whatever the case may be. They're just journalists who's handed some paperwork or who's going or who job is to sway a society a certain way, one way or another. And so when the CDC put out its mandate, its vaccination mandate, when they gave the little chart a few weeks, a few months ago, that basically said, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. When they released that chart, immediately I made a post about it because I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, this is going to be a, a deadly spread. Because one thing we knew about the, the Delta variant, we knew about that in 2020. I think it came out like August, September or something like that where it was starting to 
hit these other countries or whatever and start to jump into the U.S. So this was going on in 2020. So for them to do this, there was also this political factor of getting these kids back in school. That's also going on politically. I don't know what that's about. I'm not really sure. Um, Because you have these teachers that are dying. You have these, you know, and a lot of teachers are older with weak immune systems and things like that. But so there's this political thing. So now when the CDC says, oh, we don't need six feet distancing, we only need three feet now, you know, because that's the distance that you can only fit so many children in a classroom because you can't put them six feet apart uh, and have, let's say, 30 kids. But maybe you can put the chairs three feet apart and maybe have 20, 25 kids. So they start changing those numbers. And then the science is kind of going out of the window. And all 2020, we've been told to trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. And now the CDC is saying, yeah, we know we told you this, but we're going to make some exceptions to the rule. That by far, even if the CDC was 100% correct in 2020 and everything they're saying, in 2021, they're going get they're going against everything that they basically said to stop, you know, the spread of this virus. And so that's without challenging anything they said. So now you take what they've done with these mask mandates, wear the mask, don't wear the mask, because they came out with about three of them already, I think, at least two, back to back a week apart. And but when I saw it, I was like, this is ludicrous. This is crazy. Because one of the things that was happening and something I think Joe Rogan is right in this and what he was saying was when you have people are thinking that they're okay with the vaccine, they let their guards down. Mm-hmm. I was reading a story this morning about a cruise ship that everybody was supposed to be vaccinated. hundred percent people were supposed to be vaccinated. Well, about 30, 40 people came out, tested positive with the virus on the cruise ship even though all of them were were vaccinated. So what happens is people are letting their guards down. Now, it's very difficult to kill a virus. So I'm going to say that, you know, it just is what it is. Um, But if you let your guards down, maybe we would go and wear their masks to Home Depot, because even as much political struggle and fight that I put up, I still throw on a mask when I'm around a group of people because, you know, I love my life. So when the CDC, speaking for an entire country, is saying that you know you can still be in these large groups and you don't have to wear these masks and they're displaying this into the media the regular everyday non-scientific person who's never dealt with the virus who's never dealt with the precaution they're not thinking about it in their head in the back of their mind about invisible germs and things like that they're just saying the government said if i got a shot I can just go in this building. The media said, if I got a shot, I'm okay to go in this building. I don't need to wear to wear a mask anymore. That's all the regular person is thinking. So what do they do? What do they do? The natural order of, of mankind is to come together, large groups, large crowds, you know, concerts now going on all summer long, uh, you know, school, football, sports, all of those things, stadiums opening up. So even if they would have just kept the mask mandate for, you know, even allowing the people to come together, it would have put people mentally in the state of mind to say, you know, be, be cautious. 
You know, there's still something out here. Uh, immediately, the day that the, the CDC put that mandate out there, all of the major retail spots, amusement parks, all of the major corporations, whoever they may be, dropped all of the requirements. And what did people do? Immediately come together and congregate. The, mat, the vaccinated and unvaccinated. Now, we know these vaccines, again, not challenging anything, just saying that they work as, as advertised. Uh, if you have something that's 90% uh, safe, you know, if something is 95% safe, there's still that 5%, 10%, 15%, 30%, depending on which vaccine, that allows whoever got shot with that 30%, 10%, 5%, that still leaves them vulnerable. So at least for a period of time, the media should have left the basic precautions and say, stay safe, stay vigilant, you know, uh, keep your social distancing. But nope, they crowded the airplanes back, <laughs> you know, put you in the tube, so, you know, and say, yeah, the air is HIPAA filtered and some crap or whatever. But so it was I, a disaster. Here's, here's the thing. Uh, number one, I just want to push back. I don't believe Disney as a theme park. Um, I think they, when once they started opening up, um, I think there was always a mask requirement to be on the property. Um, I can't speak for other theme parks, though. Uh, Some and I, theme parks. Now, you got to realize they're not the only one. I'm yeah. using them because we all know what they are. Right. So I'm not necessarily saying what, just to be clear, what Disney only did or didn't right. do or right. whatever the case may be. I'm just saying specifically that the world opened up, well, in the United States. Mm-hmm. We opened up. All, and, and when I say Disney's name, I'm really just speaking on big corporation of, of the area that they represent, not necessarily them specifically. Just that, you know, because we may have Six Flags in Atlanta. Right, right, we right. We may have Universal or whatever theme park, mm-hmm. park there is. So I'm speaking as general and using their names just as an example. Gotcha. And I and can I jump in real real quick? Absolutely. Because I want to point out that I absolutely agree with you that the CDC's guidance, and I, I do want to quibble with the name or the the term mandate versus guidance because the right. CDC doesn't actually control states. Clearly, right. the CDC doesn't c- control states. So the idea that the, the, so the CDC guidance, I think it was premature when they came out and said that vaccinated people can can uh, go without a mask. And I was very public in saying, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that that's what we should be doing because the data doesn't su- may support that vaccinated people are not spreading the disease. But we also have an entire world outside of the United States in which the vaccine or the the, vir- the virus was changing and mutating. We had a lot of things happening outside of the United States, and it was premature and a little short-sighted for the CDC to do it at that time. And clearly they had to backpedal almost immediately when the Delta variant hit the United States. Um, and, and I think, I think to your point that, uh, that everyone sort of let their guard down. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think vaccinated people were hooting and hollering. And what was most frightening to me is that because vaccinated people were getting out and starting to mingle that unvaccinated people were also doing the same thing, which made the situation worse. We were all on this honor system, which does not work. The shopping cart system. Tired. The shopping (laughs) cart, right? It doesn't work when people are tired and we have, we we are just mentally and emotionally 
and psychologically beaten down after 18 months of being in this pandemic. And so I agree with you 100% in that space. Um, and I just did want to point out the mandate thing. So let's, right. let's, no, just, let's just like peel that back a little bit, right? Because I do think there is, I think we all can agree that um, there has been a crisis of leadership in regards to the very beginning of this thing, right? Because it's allowed, um, because of this crisis of leadership, it's allowed this vacuum of the voices to occupy the space and create narratives that can be dangerous and clouding people's view of what, what to do and what not to do and what exactly is the proper um, response to this uh, important uh, or this very deadly virus. And the CDC in particular, as you guys have both mentioned, has really, if the CDC was was a... Um, you know, was an actor, they'd have the worst PR, right? Because their key rating would go down because they have, uh, they just can't, can't get right, right? And, and so, um, you know, the CDC in general, it just has really just uh, uh, dropped the ball in as far as, as direction and leadership. And uh, do you think that's actually one of the main reasons uh, why, not the reason, but one of the main reasons why there is such a vitriol on both sides regarding um, to be to not to be vaccinated. Shout out to Shakespeare. Anybody well, can I jump think, in. <laughs> I, I'll I'll start, and then I think Cordell has lots to say about this. Right. But <laughs> so my, my sense of it is that um, it was very clear back in the beginning of 2020 that uh, the the federal government was not doing the one thing that every administration since George W. Bush had said would be an absolute must have for a pandemic response. And that is a coordinated federal response. And immediately in the beginning part of 2020, it was very clear that the federal government was not going to coordinate the states, was not going to provide resources to the states. And every single state and governor and you know, individual municipalities were going to have to fend for themselves. Yeah. And it is that patchwork response that made this pandemic in the United States specifically, and I can't speak to anywhere else because I don't live there, but in the United States made the pandemic much, much worse. And it made the uh, the any guidance that came from the CDC or any piece of the federal government a, almost contradictory to what they were hearing from their local governments or their local municipalities. And so people were simply confused because we didn't have this coordinated response. Right. Now, I just wanted to point out that, and I... Uh, George W. Bush, who has not ever been my favorite president for a lot of reasons, <laughs> um, was was actually the person who read about the 1918 pandemic, and he's the one who instituted the the federal response, the playbook, if you will. Right. And he is the one who who decided, okay, we need to have a coordinated response. He built the playbook. The playbook was passed down from administration to administration. And it was not implemented in this it, when this pandemic started. Right. So I think in many ways it is that discombobulated response that has made things so much worse. And when you put the CDC in there and you you decide, okay, are we only going to listen to the CDC if their guidance doesn't mesh with your local guidance? And you're not hearing, you know, you you don't know who to believe. And I think that has made it even worse and made the CDC less credible in many ways 
even if they put out good information, it's made them less credible. I agree, actually. And before you jump in, Cordell, I just want to say this. Um, I've stated on the past podcast is that, uh, you know, the last president, um, when he failed to operate in a in a centralized leadership role with this particular pandemic or this this virus, um, and he just wanted to kick the can down the road and allow it the other states and it's created 50 governors, you know, with 50 different responses to a international problem. And then you, and within that, you had your, you like you to your point, Tracy, you know, the subsection of counties and then cities and whatever, whatnot, creating their own because it was people were scared. People were generally scared. And, and so and they were looking for leadership. And I, I often feel like this is not to get into a whole political discussion, but just I, I feel like if Trump would have just stepped into the leadership role with this, not only would he have been reelected, but also he would have alleviated so much of a, you know, national discourse regarding this subject. Um, and because I think it allowed uh, the vacuum of uh, lack of leadership trickle down throughout the federal government, all the way down to the CDC. And, you know, and then it dispersed to the public for us now to create um, our own narrative surrounding the subject. So Cordell, go ahead and jump in. Yeah, I, I actually don't have a problem with the states or the local government making a decision mm. on these issues because a lot of times, um, and, and I fought against, I'm going to say I fought against the quarantine from day one. When they issued any mandate, any order, I was like, you know, screw this, I'm out. And the first t- thing they did was to work. The second thing I did was showed up at my office the next day. So I've never taken a day off outside of just regular schedule, you know, regular schedule time, regular schedule trips. You look on my Facebook page, you know, during the time of everything, uh, they shut us down. And I'm like, it's unconstitutional for the government to basically arrest somebody in their homes who have not committed a crime of anything. Um, it's one thing for the government to encourage, which I think that that's what they should do. They should encourage because they are responsible for uh, community health as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they should advise, they should tell us, they should instruct us, they should inform us. But what they should not do is order us to not be removed from our homes. Um, so I was against that, and immediately I went out to the mountains. I went flying because I realized all of this stuff was happening and they wasn't shutting down the airplanes. (laughs) There were certain things they were not doing. So I was still kind of traveling through it. I still protected myself because I ain't crazy. Right. (laughs) Um, But I also when all these quarantine orders was there, I was pushing back. Now, that being said, I think whatever is going on, like here in Georgia, where we were shut down probably about 30 days. Because I think we all gave it a fair shot, you know, saying, okay, we don't know what's happening. The news, the sky's falling on the news. Let's everybody rest. So my office in my house, for me, dealing with the public, I really didn't come into contact with any large crowds, any large people. And my employees, all of them were isolated, shut down, you know. But for me, I just came to work. I just was not stuck in my house. Let me say that. But I wasn't out in public you know, trying to see what I can catch either. That being said, if in Georgia, Atlanta, where I'm, I'm at particularly, 
we have a huge population of people. Yeah, I believe, you know, we need to take caution and don't be in those big crowds. But if you're in Iowa on, you know, some farm where the next neighbor is a mile down the road, do you really need to quarantine? Not really. You know, if you have three people in your neighborhood in the corner store, do you really need to make uh, quarantine? No. So a federal mandate, I don't necessarily think that should have happened. And I'm glad it didn't. State mandates uh, or local county mandates, I'm a little bit more flexible on that. Let me say that. Uh, because what, what's going on in California, which I did come to California doing the um, quarantine when you guys were quarantined there, I went to LA and I saw that you couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't go in any store by order of the LA County Commission and the mayor without your mask and things like that. That was something we were not dealing with in Georgia, but I respected it. I respected the community, I respected the neighborhoods. Uh, I ate outside. I didn't try to buck the system or whatever. Uh, if a restaurant was open, you know, we ate outside on the patio. It was what it was. Now, that being said, I agree that the federal government botched this totally because going back to what I talked about before, about when Trump said everybody needs to get to America, everybody needs to get back in because of this virus, and all of a sudden you had probably people who are all over the world now rushing in. Let's just say that they were contaminated. We don't know. But if they were coming from wherever they were coming from, they're all coming and stuck in the airport. And they were stuck. Like, I mean, you're talking about packs and packs of people in uh, in the custom side of things. And if anybody uh, who hears this podcast ever been in a custom area, you know, it's already a small, tight space. Yeah that they don't really allow you to do anything. Yeah. So now you have everybody coming from every airline. I would just say, just in summary, um, there's a difference between the federal, even though the federal government did botch what was happening because there needs to be a system of government readiness, which is why we have FEMA for these things and we, why we have the NIH and those types of government. I think it's it's hard to have this overall reaching approach from a federal government because we have so many communities and societies in our states in local cities so i think when the government says these are my guidances on you know what to do then it is up to the state or the local government to mandate those things and we saw a lot of executive orders now i have a problem with those too but that's another legal issue <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, also let me jump in here real quick because I, I i want to make sure that when i say a coordinated response don't that it's a monolithic thou shalt sort of set of tablets of of you know mandates right. i think that what the gov the federal government has that individual states do not have is a view of the future based on predictive science that the states and local governments just simply don't have because of their either the resources they don't have or they don't have the reach or they don't have the international um uh sort of interactions and coordination that they that's required i think there needs to be a single source of truth for the data that's coming out and that has been really problematic when we have 50 different responses. I do agree that within, if you're in rural Iowa, as you point out, and you're saying that the federal government could say, if you have these conditions, 
then the our, our mandate is X. And if you meet these conditions, our mandate is Y. And I think that's what the federal government and the playbook, by the way, was very clear about. And instead, each state was was sort of left to try to compete with other states for resources, which is unconscionable in my mind. And they were left to make decisions about the data that was happening in their state, collecting it on their own. And there, that means they have 50 different sources of data truth, which means it's all over the map. And I, that's what I mean by a coordinated federal response. I agree with you that a monolithic approach just won't, won't work. Okay. That's fair. All right. So let's, let me, let me, um, let me actually play a clip here. Um, Regarding, well, I mean, I'm going to talk about uh, vaccine passports. All right. And mm-hmm. I know you probably have some strong opinions here about that, Cordell. So, um, but, you know, actually, before we even play the clip, just what are, what are your thoughts about vaccine passports? Let's go with that. Uh, I think that they are unconstitutional. One, I think that they... Uh, set a standard of unequal protection under the law, and they open up a lot of other doors. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't necessarily have an issue with individual private businesses saying what can happen in their individual business. If I open up a business tomorrow and say, you can only come in here vaccinated, me as a consumer, and say, well, I don't need to shop there. You know, I can shop here. Right. But once the government mandates something, um, especially basic public necessities, which are usually all public buildings of some sort, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we shouldn't be required to be vaccinated, putting something in our bodies that, um, that we don't want in our bodies. So let let me ask you though, because haven't we always, number one, we always put something in our bodies that we don't know, you know, the origination, but also number, number one, the real, the real question is, Students have been required to be vaccinated to actually get into schools. Now, most parents, uh, no, most parents, you know, allow their child to get, you know, shots like rubella and, mm-hmm. you know, things of that nature. What is so different about um, polio and things of that nature? What is so different about that than this? All right. Two things. One is you, ha- you have exemptions. You can exempt out for religious purposes. Absolutely. Or right. Um, two is and you can homeschool you don't even have to go to school you can homeschool absolutely or private school or you or online school you have so many different options now that you don't have to do that so the second thing is those vaccines were tried and tested over um a period of time now what happens is what's happening now is we're shaming people into being vaccinated as a media and as a whole and, you know, pitting one family member against the other. Instead of saying, like me, I'm not necessarily an anti-vaxxer. I am a pro-know-it's-what's-going-on or the effects of this thing. So if, if I believe that that vaccine has not been tried and tested for my safety, then I'm going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want that in me because I saw personally, I know my friends, I know some friends, I know individuals who died after taking the vaccine. Does the vaccine cause that? I don't know. But what I do know is that when my friends who I do know to this day take took the vaccine, they couldn't move their arms and they had to go get medical treatment. So if I'm going to say, 
I'm not doing that. I should have that right. Right. I should have the right to say, hey, I'll see you in two years. Let me see how that worked out. Now, the rest of my family, they got vaccinated. You know, my, my siblings and things like that. Cool. Not a, not a problem. I have, we've never had a discussion on whether or not that was an issue, you know. But if I'm having that conversation with them, I'm saying, let me see if it's a side effect for a couple of years because I don't want to be the experiment, you know? Okay. So- if I don't want to be the experiment, I should have that right without necessarily being, be a uh, kind of a black sheep in society, you know, have a scarlet letter, you know, basically on my, you know, on my person and not, and be able to function. Also, I think that we should have a right to travel. So when you talk about this vaccine passport, let's say going into some other country, right? Mm-hmm. You talk about the vaccine requirements. When they, when I went to Africa, everybody was telling me, oh, you should have these vaccines for yellow fever or whatever. You're required to take them X, Y, and Z. And I, I was like, good luck with that. I'm going to Africa with or without a vaccine. And you know what? I went there. Now, is there a risk that I would come up with some infection from whatever, the yellow fever or something like that? Yes, we talked about that even in Africa, you know, in South Africa where I was. And they were saying, yeah, if you go in these parts of town, you need this, that. But I never took the vaccine. I took my niece with me. She never took the vaccine uh, to go to Africa, even though it was highly recommended by the CDC on some parts and it's on their website. So I read all of that, but I was just like, yeah, I'm not taking it. Right. It's now, called the, to- the cocktail. You call it the cocktail that you have to take traveling to Africa. Right. Yeah. And I'm not and anybody who took it. I have no issues with them, but I'm saying, yeah, I don't want to take it now. But there, well, Mars, go ahead. So there's there's a difference here between the let's just pick on the yellow fever vaccine for just right. a second. Mm-hmm. So yellow fever is transmitted by uh, mosquitoes. Correct. And so if you take the risk and get yellow fever, that's on you. And you can't spread yellow fever to any other humans. You right. are not a risk to anyone else. Correct. That's different with respiratory viruses that transmit between humans. And that's what we're really, I mean, if we're going to talk about, we're going to compare vaccines, let's at right. least compare apples to apples in All this right. space. So even if you're, I agree. So let's go back to the MMR, the measles and things like that. Um, so even in that situation, again, I'm not necessarily opposed to those because even when I went to college, I went back to college as an adult. So I'm making adult decisions here and I needed to update my shots because they were out of date from when I was a child. And I said, fine, these are tried and tested shots. I went and I paid and I have absolutely no problem with them. But when you talk about Pfizer experimenting, uh, Moderna experimenting, and, you know, whoever else, all of the other companies. Azteca and all that. Yeah. So I'm looking at it. I'm like, listen, there's not enough research for my safety. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're anti-vax. Vaxxer is saying that when it's going into your body, you should have that choice. So a vaccine passport, even though we know that there are some risks, even in the disease itself being spread, that there's some risk. There's also some risk for my safety. So I shouldn't be able to, I shouldn't be forced to have that blindly forced upon me. 
Um, but isn't it? But isn't it that vaccine passports always come with a or a negative test within the last forty-eight hours? I don't think that there is an absolute vaccine mandate or vaccine passport which says if you must be vaccinated, and that's it. I think it is, and I'm and I might be incorrect, but I think every time I have seen somebody or any sort of guidance about this, it has been you have to be vaccinated or have a negative test within the last forty-eight okay. hours. Let's deal with that. Uh, yes, you you are correct. New Orleans just issued what would be similar to what I would say a vaccine uh, passport in their buildings, right? right? Uh, and they say negative test seventy two hours for these types of venues, and they have a long list of entertainment. You know, however they chose them is on them. My thing, even then, the the burden of the poor to be always being able to get these tests because in, at first they were always free. Now, regular companies are charging regular prices yeah. to get $50 or $150 tests, depending on where they go. Right. Uh, I just went to Costa Rica in April. Mm -hmm. and let's talk about the tests. <laughs> I went to Costa Rica in April, and you have to have a PCR test or a negative COVID test to come back in. Now, the funny thing about it is that requirement doesn't require you to have the vaccine. It's only you have to have the negative test, whether you have the vaccine or not, to come back into the country, right? And so when I was in Costa Rica, I took the COVID test to get ready to fly back into America. And I tested positive for COVID, right? And it was like on a, uh, let's just say, yeah, because my flight was the next day, which was Monday, right? Mm -hmm. So on Sunday, I took the test. And I tested positive. And I was like, no, nah, I know I don't have COVID, right? And so I went literally an hour later to, to the hospital, right? Because they had a 24-hour department. And an hour later, after that test, you know, they did everything and waited in the hospital. And I waited around a little bit. And then I tested negative for the same test. And I was like, how many people's lives are being... Um, I don't want to say destroy. That's a strong word. Inconvenience to a high level of degree being stuck in other foreign countries because of these tests that they admit produce a lot of false positives because and a lot of false negatives because it can go either way where there's false positives, there's false negatives. Right. Mm -hmm. And so either you really have COVID and you're and you test negative and you go around spreading it or you don't have COVID and you're stuck out of the country for another week because all of a sudden from my positive test, the Costa Rican government is like, oh, you can't move about the country. I started getting all these emails. But for my negative test, which was an hour later, they let me freely do what I wanted to do. Now, I'm a witness of that firsthand. Mm -hmm. Now, I, did, I didn't get stuck in Costa Rica. I actually came back without issues because of the negative test but that's literally within two hours later you know of me saying go here then going there because i was assured but what if i wasn't that confident guy standing in front of you and each test cost me you know about 75 bucks or something like that you know whatever the local um rate of exchange was you know and that's happening every day for me to go out to eat or whatever you know, mandate that they may have next on a passport issue. Now, I, for me, I just think that's wrong. So let me let me just kind of um, peel this back a little bit. So because 
there's a lot to go. Let's talk about the difference in the vaccines. Um, and we talked about, you said that the science is not, you know, we can't verify the science. I know, uh, Dr. Tracy, you've actually. I say we can't verify. I'm saying we can verify what we know, but we don't know enough. We haven't had the history. Okay. So we can verify what we know. That's fair. That's fair. I, I'm glad you clarified that. Dr. Tracy, I know you in um, one of your videos, you talked about, well, it's in fact the science. We do kind of know the science because it's it's been the science is what it is, right? We can anticipate um, the variables based on numbers and um, and, and things of that nature. Do you want to expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that this vaccine didn't come out of nowhere. We've been studying vaccines against coronavirus, this coronavirus family, since 2003. So we have almost 20 years of scientific research in into this particular virus and making vaccines against this virus. And mRNA technology is not new. It's just a new, it's just the most widely used vaccine in this last three years and everybody or last two years and everybody's like super excited about it. Um, but it's not new technology. And to your point about it not being tested enough and doesn't have enough history. Now I, I agree to some point, to some degree that it, if this were a drug, if this were some kind of medicine or treatment that we were trying to push through the FDA, I would be a hundred percent on board because we never know, absolutely never know how drugs are going to behave in individuals. Sure. But we have two centuries worth of data to talk about how vaccines work in the human body. And we have 20 years of research of how the vaccines work with coronaviruses. And we have another 10 or 15 years of how mRNA vaccines work. And all of that information together has been really, really researched. And I want to point out too, that the, this particular set of data for the number of people who were actually in the clinical trials is one of the largest vaccine clinical trials that we've ever had. And in any other vaccine trials in which we have tried to do sort of mass vaccinations, we have halted everything and stopped it as soon as any sort of major safety issue came up. So as this, these vaccines have been rolling out, and I know I sound like a complete pro-vaccine person, but as these vaccines have been rolling out, um, I... I have been astounded at the safety record. And I will tell you, I'm a brand new grandmother to a bouncy baby boy, and my daughter got vaccinated while pregnant. I would have never, never allowed her to do that if I thought there was a shred of information that gave me pause about the safety of these vaccines. And so just as a personal story, as you have your own, I want to point out that my confidence is based in the data that has that has been shown and that I get to read and has been published. So I understand your trepidation. I understand your, your concern about this vaccine not being here for long enough and we don't have enough information and that might not be enough information for you. And I think that's, that's a valid point, but as a whole, and here's historically, these vaccines are among the safest we've ever been able to produce and among the cleanest we've ever been able to produce. Right, this well, is like high tech. Let me push back on that, on that while we're here. If that was the case, if they were the safest, because I understand the fact that the study of the coronaviruses are not new, 
And similar vaccines are not necessarily new. Uh, but even with COVID, none of these vaccines that they were working on, if, if the story of the viruses are believed to be true, that it came out of nowhere, where was this, you know, where's the approval or close to approval of FDA approval for uh, the vaccine closer to, towards 2019, you know, maybe early 2020. I don't believe that, one, the vaccine came out of nowhere. I do believe something was going on in Wuhan, China. Still not sure about that. I've been listening to a lot of the Senate reports and things like that in the, the hearings. So I don't have an opinion on that just yet. Still some funky going on there. But I would say that if if believing the, the report to be true, that it came out of nowhere, then, and they had to modify the current viruses to fit previous vaccines, I still want to see what the modifications, what effects the modifications have to fit this corona vaccine. Because and that's once what, you modify yeah. something, you change the variables of how it reacts to the body. That's right. And that's what the clinical trials were with 45,000 people. That is a huge clinical trial for a vaccine. And I agree with you that that they have to be studied. And by the way, the FDA and the, and the, the bureaucracy of the FDA, which we can talk about, and I bet we have a lot of similar ideas about what's mm -hmm. going on with the right. FDA. Right. But, but my point here is that the bureaucracy of the FDA is that the, the burden of proof is so high that um, and the, that the studies were so well done. And that's why it took from, I'm telling the, the, the sequence, I'm sorry, I'm starting to get excited. The sequence was, was <laughs> known to us back in January. And as soon as the sequence of the entire virus was known, then people could immediately take the spike protein sequence and put it into the MRNA and start that process. Right. We they had that within six weeks. We're already in animals. We're already testing it out. The, it was in arms by, I think it was June, July of that year. And they had it took them six months to get enough data so that they could go in front of the FDA with what is essentially full approval, except that it's like it has the the, the last little bits what we've been working through. I guess the last eight months, right. but basically the, the burden of proof of safety and efficacy was met back in December of 2020 with, as I said, one of the most, uh, one of the largest vaccine trials in history. And I think that that says a lot in terms of how fast it was able to go because of the need and to get Operation Warp Speed. Again, Trump's not my favorite president, but the idea of allowing companies to to basically be recruiting at the same time that they are planning as the same time that they are um, running some trials and having those things be able to work in parallel was the reason this went so fast but every single step was done exactly as it had been done in every other vaccine trial in history so let me, let me yeah. hold on hold on cordell let me just go ahead, go ahead. When you talk about sequencing, I understand what you mean, but you have to like, for those in LA, like, because I was watching, I've been, again, I went down a rabbit hole with your videos. When you're talking about the sequencing, what exactly are you, are you um, referencing? Are you talking about sure. what is sequencing? I'm sorry about that. Like I said, yeah. I was getting super excited and I wanted no, to just I, I, <laughs> we all know Yeah. 
So, so one of the things that, that they were able to do very early on was isolate the virus. And by isolating the virus and uh, the genetic code of that virus has a specific sequence or a specific organization of the nucleotides or the letters of that, of their genome. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what we know is that we knew it was a new coronavirus because of we, we they had done a little bit of early studies on it in terms of electron microscopy and all of that. And they knew it was a coronavirus. The actual letters that you needed to show, to say, this is the spike protein of this SARS-CoV-2, which they were able to name through the sequencing. It basically is just reading the genome to say that this one, this is what this one looks like. And it's that reading of the genome that allowed them to immediately develop the mRNA piece that they needed to put into the vaccines or into the adenoviruses. And it wasn't a genome I, that just came out of nowhere. They understood the genome from its very onset. Am I, am I correct on that? Well, because it's very similar to the other coronaviruses in the family, they knew the organization of the genome. They knew which, you know, how many genes would be in the genome. But what they didn't know is the exact perfect sequence. And those slight differences, those slight variations, are what going to it, are what makes this particular virus, SARS-CoV-2, different from the original SARS and MERS and other bat coronaviruses and dog coronaviruses and all kinds of other coronaviruses. Right. So there's slight differences. And you can think about it in the same way that you think about um, the slight differences between humans. Mm -hmm. Right. Humans are very diverse genetically. We have slight changes right. all over our genome. The only way to really understand how someone is different genetically is to sequence their entire genome. Right. And that's essentially what they did with the viruses to see how where they were exactly different. Mm. So I guess how is that different? To Cordell's point, then we talk about other viruses, let's say the chicken pox or things like that. Like, because, okay, one of the things I've heard about is that um, they've actually, you know, these things have gone through long periods of study. And so we understand the after effects of it. And the only counter I've heard about that, which I've, I've you know, parked my car in there, is that science has gotten much better than when we came up with the vaccine for chicken pox. Um, while things may have the, the window for coming up with a vaccine may have been two years or whatever, um, science has actually gotten to the point to where we should be able to cut down that window dramatically. And I even heard one person, you know, year ago, say a scientist said, honestly, we're going to get to a place in society where we're going to be able to have a vaccine within 30 days of something because we understand the un we because the science has been uh, has been so good over the last uh, 20, 30 years that we should be able to cut the window. It, the, the key or the, the earmark of a, uh, advanced society is not how long it takes to produce a national vaccine. It's how quickly we can produce something because we have, we have to study the understanding. Do you agree or disagree with that concept? So I, I partially agree and partially disagree. I okay. agree that we could get a vaccine into and out of development in 30 days. Mm -hmm. So prior to this, when when we would take a more traditional vaccine, like an inactivated virus, for example, where we have to kill it or an attenuated or weakened virus, there's a lot of study that goes into the development because those viruses, um, it, you have to kill them a specific way or you have to weaken them in a specific way. And so development takes a long time when we're, when we're talking about more traditional vaccines and, and how they're built. 
um, with an art with an mRNA vaccine, you're right. It, it, we basically can go from understanding the sequence to having something in development and ready for testing within 30 days. I don't think we'll ever be in a place where we won't go through clinical trials with every new vaccine. Clinical trials are going to take some measure of time. Clinical trials for vaccines typically are two months for each phase. So a safety study is two months plus an additional, I think, six to eight months to, to follow on. And then uh, the initial phase two and phase three are both two months to get to the original data to say, are there, is this a safe vaccine or is this not a safe vaccine? Um, because the immune system is essentially over in four weeks. I mean, everything that you're going to see that, that is an immune response specific uh, side effect of any vaccine you're going to see pretty quickly. Um, Anyway, that's so even my guess would be that the fastest we'd be able to get a vaccine from conception to distribution would be on the order of six to eight months. And that, I think, would be a very fast turnaround. Okay. But I, I'm not interested in having a vaccine on the market that is not clinically tried. Right. OK. Cordell, you want to jump in that or? Your thoughts? No, I mean, I actually, I actually agree. I think the turnaround. I don't really have a problem with the technology of, of how quickly it takes to create something. I have a problem with me not knowing the side effects later after it's created. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning, I don't want to be the beta beta test of it. Now, that being said, even with uh, no matter the drug, no matter the vaccine, there are going to be individuals who need it now. Right? That's mm -hmm. what this emergency use was supposed to be you know the the house is burning <laughs> you know you need some water to put out the house you know we to put out the fire so i get it for those that want it you know i i've talked to a lot of people who are from old to young and they say to me you know all adults old to young and they say to me you know i have this disease for me it's a safety thing that i just want I'm willing to risk whatever side effects because my body is so exposed, compromised in this area. So I'm like, I get it. No harm, no foul. That's a voluntary decision that you want to make. And in any clinical trial, they will have individuals that are currently suffering from a potential disease at that time or who may be vulnerable, even though they may not have it, they may be vulnerable or, or susceptible to that disease based upon where they, they live, their living conditions. And you need some controls, which which are individuals who may not, nothing may be wrong. You know, they may have healthy immune systems, live in perfect conditions. You got to send some controls over there and they be, they're part of that control. And then usually they get a check for it, you know, here's $3,000, here's $5,000, here's $15,000. They get to volunteer. All of that is good for me because you need that. It's when we start stepping over the level, stepping to the level and saying, hey, Cordell, I know you don't trust this thing, but we're forcing you to take it. You know, we don't we know you don't believe what's going to happen in the year or you're not secured in your thoughts of what's happening in the year. But we, the government says here, you have to take it anyway. That's why I have an issue, because the FDA at this point today, still has not cleared it fully. And I don't know the reasons why. I don't know the studies. I'm not going to uh, speculate on the reasons why they didn't clear it. Maybe it's some paperwork. 
maybe it's something that they're seeing in the studies that they don't talk about. But sort of let, no idea. let me ask you, let me push back on it. If okay, the FDA, if the FDA is a bureaucratic agency. We all understand it. And right. All bureaucracies mm-hmm. are inconsistent and ramped with corruption, right? Whatever. Right. Because um, the FDA has approved things that really shouldn't be in our bodies anyway. So, on one end, right. people... They still haven't approved this. Right. You know. So, let's just keep... But if scientists are saying, irregardless of the governmental bodies, but if scientists are saying, scientists like uh, Dr. Tracy here are saying that we actually can verify that this is a safe vaccine. We actually can verify that we know what the side effects are going to be because we know how it's going to turn out in the human body. We understand how the human body works. We understand how vaccines work. Why is that not good enough? Because there are also scientists that are saying the opposite, you know, and you got to understand, you can't just throw the word scientists out and think that everybody's on one accord. You know, you have to have the other foot up and say, well, are there contrary opinions? I agree. When just like other lawyers, you know, we could have, there, there are some lawyers that agree with a, a constitutional right. opinion and others that don't. Okay. Exactly. And sometimes we're all listening to the same information, right? And so when this first broke, the whole coronavirus issue and the way that hospitals were being, you know, were treating people in the media, you had some doctors that were coming on YouTube, Facebook, and all of that stuff. And they were saying that, no, you shouldn't do this. You know, this is wrong. The media is telling you it's wrong. Whatever whatever the case is, for whatever reason they talked about, right? Those individuals should be heard as much as the other individuals that are saying, yeah, we read Pfizer's data. We read Moderna's, you know, data, and we believe that everything, you know, is is, is okay, up and up, yeah. Right? Because just like we know Pfizer has lied in the past about their data, it, once you once you stop opening anything up for challenge, you run a dangerous course. I agree. And there has to be somebody to look at this and say, you know what, I don't like what I'm seeing. And they have to have the freedom and the room, at least, to say to say that this could be wrong. So when you use the term scientist, um, I, I think you need to be more specific. You may say a majority of the scientists that have reviewed this, but not necessarily all of the scientists. Um, Because when I see this stuff, again, I'm a scientist too. So when I see it, but you know, my occupation is law. But when I see it, I I question stuff and I'll post it and I'll be like, what is this? Like, it doesn't make sense. And sometimes I have these discussions with doctors and stuff locally, because you know, we, I love random controversial things, you know? And we'll have these discussions locally and they'll say, yeah, I agree with this and I don't agree with this. But we're able to have dialogue because with that, you can also poke holes where there may otherwise be issues that people being a one track mind, you don't necessarily see. That's why science, we have peer reviews, you know, so right. when something is published and it's a it, it could be the best thing on the market, you know. But some new guy comes in and says, you know what? Yeah, you know, I think we were looking at this wrong or bet or a new version of something there. They should be able to have that avenue to challenge. I don't that. think anybody's I don't think anybody's saying that, Cordell. And I don't think anybody's saying that, you know, scientists shouldn't have a voice. And in fact, science is a discipline of the de- de- deconstruct. Right. Because honestly, when people way we advance in societies that there have been people say, yeah, that was a great way to do something. But I actually have a better way. Because I've thought about right. it in within in mathematics, in science, or whatnot, and so um, you know, 
this is so my... when you ask me, do I believe in the science or or what's my thought on when the science agrees with something? I'm saying let's not be so generic because there are also scientists that disagree with it. You know, go ahead, go ahead, Tracy. <laughs> I need to jump in here because I think it's it's really really important. One of the things that I spend and I had no idea when I started in November and started doing a science channel and social media that I would be doing this. A lot of my time would be, yeah. would be spent doing this, but a Welcome lot of this, I know, right. I, a lot of the scientists that um, are saying things like, I don't agree with X, Y, Z. What I'm seeing them talk about is not even good pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. There is a, a mixture of, um, just wrong biology. And what I mean by that, it's, it's, they don't understand the biology that they're talking about, that, that there's no, it's not like they have the same data that I do and we're disagreeing. Right. They simply are not basing their, their conclusions in actual biology, not data that we are, you know, disagreeing about like Pfizer's data or anything like that. They're right. talking about things that are biologically impossible. And what I don't understand is why they're spending so much energy trying to spin this biology into something that it's not. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I disagree with people who are looking at the same data and we are interpreting it differently. They are not grounded in actual biology. Mm -hmm. well, I can, and I can these are the people speak, that are, are problematic. I can probably speak for some of that because that goes back to the theory of me saying, you know, hey, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I just don't trust this vaccine. And so what's happening in the dust that is that we, you know, call, you know, COVID-19 for 20, 2020 and 2021, you have so many things that are going on. You have one is the way that we're handling it. Like you talked about the federal government botching everything, which I agree. You talk about the local mandate and you also have the way that the media is handling it and you have the way that individual doctors and things being pushed by the government. So you have all these th different things. So then what you have is also the treatments, you know, everybody's talking about how, you know, treated with this medicine, treated with this medicine. And there was something when this virus first broke, I mean, yeah, when the virus first broke out and everybody's being, everybody was being hospitalized. I asked the question of a lot of medical professionals. I say, what are they doing to actually treat the virus? Because everybody's being hospitalized and we don't have a vaccine. And essentially, you know, a bunch of medical people said, hey, we're nurses, you know, because they have their frontliners, nurses and doctors. And they were saying, you know, we're treating symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're treating symptoms, let's say in the United States, in the United States, all, all over the nation, that's they're going to be different, right? And for the first time in social media, the person in Georgia who's treating a person one way can immediately, they don't need to write a paper or peer review. They can challenge the way somebody is treating somebody else in California. You know, they just see the news story and they immediately come online and, and then they're able to challenge it. So I think a lot of what is happening in the smoke or the dust being, you know, um, chaotic in the air and not being settled is why you're seeing these different 
opinions everywhere. Like you say, it's not necessarily on the Pfizer information. It just may be on some pseudoscience somewhere else, because a lot of times it may be a, literally a different subject. Because I've heard some doctors say, hey, the way New York is handling it is wrong. It's just wrong that they're doing this, that, and the other. But that may not be the way of what's going on in California, you know? And so what we have to look at is what is the point of reference that that particular doctor or scientist is coming from and and then go from there. And then maybe I think that the conversation may be a little bit different right now. It's still a lot of politics in the back of all of our heads. What do you what are um, your what are your thoughts about that, Trace? Well, I think it's I, I think it's fair to say that at the beginning of the pandemic, there were no national protocols for treatment. I think everybody was busy trying to save patients and in, you know getting them on ventilators and, and intubating. Like all of those things were just a massive, frenzied um, space because we didn't understand how to treat the virus. And we didn't have anything. We have since honed our treatment schedules and our treatment protocols so that, for the most part, most COVID patients are being treated similarly across the country because, well, medicine being what it is, people recognize what is working well and they start to, to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the, the piece that I want to get back to is this idea of, of doctors or scientists who are disagreeing with sort of the settled science or the data that's out there and, and putting that out on the internet. Um, by and large, the scientists that I spend my energy debunking are people who have a competing interest, either a financial competing interest or a, um, a competing business or a competing vaccine or a competing treatment schedule, or, you know, they, there is something about whatever it is that they're saying that they have a vested interest, a vested personal interest in seeding doubt or, seeding confusion in the data that's out there. And I, and I think I that's, the, that. I think that's the biggest problem because no one, at least no, not many people on social media are consuming that information beyond the, you know, the personage. So I will put myself out there as, as someone like no one knows my last name. Right. No one knows my credentials. I just say I have a PhD in microbiology and immunology, and I just expect people to believe me. Right. I talk in I talk in a very calm way when I'm on on video. I'm very reassuring. I'm I'm not you know I'm not snarky. I'm not coming after anybody. Right. I don't personally say that everybody should get the vaccine. I'm trying to give people information the best that I can. But if someone were to come at me and say, what is your competing interest in forcing the vaccine? You can look at my tax records and you can see where I am not being paid by anybody, not even TikTok. I take no money from any of this. So what is my driver? When I ask about the other scientists, I'm like, what is your specific motivation for being on social media talking about whatever it is you're talking about? And by and large, the people who have nothing to gain are the ones who are at, at least trying the, as hard as they can to give valid information. And almost every scientist that dissents drastically and is making a big splash on social media and in the sort of conspiracy theory space are people who have a competing personal interest 
in seeding doubt or confusion around the vaccine or around this virus. And that has been across the board for me. Now, that may not be true for everybody, but it has been true by and large. So let me ask you this then. The vaccine in general, what exactly is in the vaccine? For those who want to, yeah. Sure. For lay people. (laughs) You know, I'll try. So there's a couple of different uh, formulations of vaccines that are out there. So I think the one that makes everyone the most uncomfortable is the is the newest technology, which is the mRNA vaccines. Basically, the mRNA vaccine has in it a string of nucleotides, which looks just like the mRNA that you have in your cells. So that is not unusual to your body. It is surrounded by lipids, also things that are for the most part, things that your body has seen before, or is part of the the molecules. They look very similar to the molecules you have in your body. Um, And then some salt to sort of stabilize everything and sugar as a cryoprotectant. Um, The one thing that probably gives everyone pause in the mRNA vaccines is uh, polyethylene glycol, which is um, a stabilizer in this space. Uh, Polyethylene glycol is something that is in a lot of different things. This is something that you've ingested before on accident or with other contaminants. It's been in other foods and and, uh, things that you have in your life. Like what? Uh, God, it's, it's so much, it's so much a part of it. I don't even like right now, couldn't think of it, but I'm sure that you could find it in all sorts of things. I, I know, well, you know what? I know it's in like shampoos and stuff like that. It's, it stabilizes that. And it, a lot of those are safe to, um, like, what is it? Baby tears or something like that. (laughs) Baby shampoo. Anyway, my point is that, that this is something that is pretty common, but there are some people on the planet who have an allergic reaction to polyethylene glycol, and it is the one thing in mRNA vaccines that could possibly drive an anaphylactic-like uh, reaction, and that would happen within the first 15 to 20 minutes following a vaccine. So um, so that's the mRNA vaccines. The other two vaccines that, are, that we think about or that in the Western world are AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson, both of them are nearly identical in terms of the formulation, and they are uh, a virus that we know very well that is supposed to be um, it doesn't cause disease in us, and we kind of hollowed out that vac- that virus, and we put in um, a little bit of the spike protein and uh, g- genetic material plus the rest of the virus, so it's kind of like a hybrid. And so it, it, they've called it the Trojan horse, I guess, is one way to think about it. But that that adenovirus, that virus, um, is the delivery vehicle for the mRNA that you will eventually make and make spike protein. So, so these four vaccines, <clears throat> excuse me, these four vaccines are particularly good at getting genetic material into the cell so that the cell itself can make viral proteins and that mimics the virus as close as possible and it is the closest mimic we have to a virus other than a weakened version of the virus so why <clears throat> why what is a spike protein like so yeah so the spike protein is simply um a, a part of the virus that sticks out and it's the part of the virus that binds to our cells. It's the part of the virus that's absolutely required to bind to our cells, absolutely required for the virus to get into our cells. 
And it seems to be the most important part for our immune system to recognize and make antibodies against. Okay. So then generally speaking, what happens between when those who are vaccinated and unvaccinated, uh, again, uh, this is my lay, lay understanding here, but um, when somebody is unvaccinated, or let's say vaccinated, the if you you get the virus, it then stops in the nasal cavity or whatnot, and it does not go down to your respiratory system. Is that correct? Well, so I think that the best way for me to explain what happens when you get vaccinated is that your immune response makes antibodies. And these are proteins that recognize the spike protein specifically. Mm -hmm. So now you have these antibodies that are floating around in your bloodstream, and they're also floating around in your mucosa, that is that your nose and your sinuses and your throat and right. So you have these antibodies that are very, very specific to the spike protein of the coronavirus. So if you were to be exposed to the virus, that virus the ideally the virus would would get into your nose and throat because it's what it does those antibodies would bind specifically to the spike protein of the whole virus and then because the spike protein is absolutely required to get into your cells but because the antibody is actually a physical barrier so that the spike protein cannot even get close to your cells so the spike protein never Uh, never binds to your cells, which means the virus can't get in. That's the ideal situation, Mm. right? So, so it, uh, you never get infected. That's the perfect way a vaccine would work is that you have enough antibodies to neutralize the virus because the virus can't bind to your cells, can't get in. Um, The, but, but not everybody makes enough antibodies Mm. to provide that neutralization. So if you get a high enough exposure enough you know so many viruses you can it's a numbers game and that's what happens with the breakthrough and that's where we get that's what breakthrough is is that you're just getting exposed to more virus than you have antibodies to neutralize gotcha that's it right and so the delta the reason that the delta variant has going we're going to see more breakthrough the reason the delta variant is so problematic is because there's just simply more viruses Mm. and so Whatever immune, whatever immune uh, protection we had with the antibodies that we made against the original uh, vaccine, just in, su- in some cases, not all of them, and this is important too, we just have more viruses and more people are going to be, um, are going to have breakthrough cases with the Delta variant than we would have had if we would, had stuck with just the Alpha or other variants. So with the, but with the variant, it's still with the vaccination, it still allows it not to get down to the respiratory system. That seems to be true, not for everybody though, because we have people who've had, um, who've been vaccinated, who do get respiratory illness and who have been hospitalized and who die. I mean, it's, it, it, it's just that the vast majority of people who get infected and who have been vaccinated simply don't have a super severe disease, but that's not everybody. Can it's you... A, can you recreate um, the, the um, for lack of a better term, the ingredients of a vaccine in natural, you know, ailments such as like just things you can grow in a garden or whatnot? No. Why is that? Well, because the we're still you still need the. I guess I don't understand the question. So, so what you're so, so yeah, let's try so to think. Let's about break that. it down. So like, and maybe Cordell, if you understand what I mean. So there are like there are people who 
say, you know, I'm not, I'm a naturalist. I don't need to get the vaccine. I'm going to get herbs and, you know, have, and I'm doing these things to fight against it. I'm going to be healthy, as Joe Rogan said, we're just going to fight against being healthy. Um, Those things are important. Can those things actually be recreated as opposed to just taking the vaccine? Let, Let me say this from a, just a regular layman's point of view. The vaccine in itself is when you, when you, the vaccine helps neutralize the virus so it doesn't attack the body. But when you're talking about natural remedies, that's strengthening the immune system of the body itself to help fight. So you're, it's a different fight. It's a different weapon, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So when you have a healthy immune system in general, your body is able to fight off certain viruses and diseases, you know, even if they attack. If you use a vaccine, it's a weapon that's used to minimize the ability of the virus to procreate. Because you got to remember, everything in nature wants to survive. So when you talk about the coronavirus, the corona represents, let's say, these uh, spikes that are sticking out trying to enter into the cell. So the vaccine prevents that or neutralizes as much as it, it's able to do to minimize the damage of the vaccine becoming a virus to these cells in your body so that your body can fight them off, right? Right. It's, it's, so nature, what you're talking about, natural remedies, do it, does it in other ways. So what they're doing, maybe you're eating fruit, maybe you're running, maybe you're doing getting your vitamin D, Whatever the case is, you're building up your immune system through healthy, whatever. It's That's another way of fighting. And so now your body has the strength to fight this infection. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody with a weakened immune system, one way or the other, they don't have that strength. So even if they go out into their garden and, you know, eat some tomatoes, eat some onions or whatever the case may be, if their immune system is still weak, um, it's still, you know, it's like battle. You know, your body's really fighting these diseases. It's still weak, so the virus is winning. Mm-hmm. And so just on the layman's point of view, the natural remedies help build it up so you can withstand that fight. And you may, you know, lose a battle of getting sick or coughing and, you know, your body letting you know something is wrong, but hopefully you win the war of this disease in your body. So the vaccine is one way and natural remedy is another way. They don't necessarily produce the same thing. Uh, That's true. Hope the results are the same. Okay. Eventually. Yeah. Do you, you agree with that, Dr. Tracy? So I will, I'll point out the places where I do agree. And that is that, um, that people who live a healthier lifestyle Mm-hmm. Um, who tend to eat a balanced meal, who exercise regularly, who sleep appropriately, who don't have a lot of stress in their life. Their immune system is... I'm like one of three on those. <laughs> right. I stress and I don't, I don't sleep well, but go ahead. But yeah, I exercise I'm not, regularly. I'm not a sleeper, right? So, so one of the things that, that it's, it's really important to understand is that the immune response as it is, um, you can think of it as like you have optimal immune response. And an optimal immune response is one that recognizes something as foreign and importantly responds exactly the way it needs to, not more, not less. 
the immune system is a tightly um, regulated system that can kill you if it responds too vigorously and uh, can, (laughs) and if it doesn't respond well enough, can also kill you. So you want to respond as much as you need to, but not so much that you have extra symptoms or that you die. It is really important to hear this because this is a really common misconception. You cannot eat your way to a stronger immune response against any specific virus or anything that's out there. If you get exposed to a high enough dose of viruses, you will get infected. And that infection, how you respond into that infection is based on whether or not you have a suppressed immune system, which is a weakened immune system, if you wanna think of it that way. So that can be from stress, from lack of sleep, from not eating well and all of that stuff. But there's no specific thing that you can eat or bring on board that is going to particularly protect you against a specific virus. The only thing that you can do is not suppress your immune system with cortisol, which is essentially what I'm talking about in terms of stress and lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's also really important to understand that the immune response is not an all or nothing thing. We have several viruses out there that particularly target that the people who die are not old, frail, immunocompromised people. They are the strongest, the youngest, the healthiest among us. And that happened in 1918. And it's going to probably happen at some point with the coronavirus. And it happens with hantavirus. The youngest and strongest have the best immune response in quotes. And they are the ones who die because the immune system is overly strong. And so I want to say that it's like, be careful what you, what you want is an appropriate immune response and an immune response that is appropriate to the virus that you are, that you are uh, combating. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to completely agree with Cordell and say that um, these two things, a vaccine and your immune response are different weapons in the same arsenal. Right, that we they are behaving slightly differently. Right. One is providing prior exposure, that's the vaccine, which gives you antibodies which would prevent the virus from infecting you in the first place. And your immune response is after the virus has infected infected you. And so they they are different parts of the immune response. Cordell, you you with that? Yeah, I'm with that 100. percent Okay, you know what? I actually kind of think we should like. <laughs> We we there was so much I wanted to get into and like the philosophical idea of like fascism and all this other stuff, but you know maybe we can we can get into that in another day. Um, but I kind of want to end on a good note um, regarding that. So, um, Cordell, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you give you your you know final thoughts and just right. you know what are your this discussion and just in general the yeah. vaccine. No, I get it. So I always say that it's important to have these discussions and we should not fray away from uh, opposing views or because sometimes we realize they're not as opposing as we believe. We're just coming from different uh, situations or points of views or different premises. Mm -hmm. And we there is the individual thought. way going in the same exact direction although we're all going north start over start over 
you went out for ten. I have some good stuff to say. You, you know? went out. You, you, I know, but you, you, you're, you're, you went out for ten seconds, and then okay. you came back. Okay, uh, I'm marking right. it. I'm marking it. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say collectively, I think that um, we have these opposing views, and but I think that it's a great. It's it's good to talk to people. It's great to talk to people that either disagree with you or can add contrary points with you even though that you all may come to the same conclusion because that's how you grow that's how you have the other side and say well you know i didn't think about that that may be true Mm -hmm. we'll find that many times we're all coming to the same place which is to you know beat the pandemic but we have different ways of doing it yeah now that being said that being said it's like being on an expressway. When you're on an expressway, everybody's living their individual life, but collectively, you're all in the same traffic. We're all getting getting off at different points of, of different exits. You know, we're trying to move in our own lane because we have different destinations to go, but we're all still going north. And sometimes in these situations, me as an attorney coming to this saying, listen, I don't want the government to mandate what I can and cannot do. You know, some um, people who are, you know, I'm a skeptic and I'd be like, hey, this is Darwinism at its best. You know, if you want to die, you die. Darwinism is actually very racist ideology, but we can, that's another discussion for another day. That's a different conversation. I'm just speaking in general. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you may have somebody else who says, you know, for the collective good, you know, we have to kind of come together. Um, you have to come together and, and, you know, we have to think about the other person. So as an attorney, I'm thinking about the constitutional issues, the, the freedom issues that an individual have, has in a collective society. And, um, and at what point do we draw the line in saying that the government is pushing, pushing us too much, but we understand that there is a role for the government. Mm-hmm. And so we have to always consider those things because as Emmanuel, um, what is it, Mayor Emmanuel, Barack Obama's, um, Rahm Emanuel, that's what it was. But he said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah, yeah. And we realize the business of America is business, um, you know, and sometimes these crises can be shaped one way and we're sacrificing our lives just listening to the government because we're never challenging the thought we're just obeying mm-hmm. and i'm saying challenge the thought challenge what what the government is saying to you at least within yourself question it if you agree with it fine go with it mm-hmm. but if you disagree with it as an american citizen as it says in the constitution we the people take step back and say well you know what i get where the government is coming from but i think it's wrong you know they're overstepping their authority because it's still we the people that need to kind of move. And we can do that while still looking out for our grandmothers, still looking out for our neighbors, still making sure, you know, like I say, even though I didn't take the vaccine, I still make sure I mask up everywhere I go. You know, I don't risk anybody else's life. And, you know, around me, I still social distance. Um, Sometimes I like the idea of social distancing, you know. Same. So you, you can be... You can you can live in both worlds. You don't have to politicize it just because the media is politicizing it. Yeah. You can 
listen and, and, and learn to live with your neighbor and see what their point of view is and see why they're do- doing, doing the things that they're doing for whatever reason. Yeah. And sometimes it may not necessarily be contrary, which contrary to your thoughts, their premise just may be from for a totally different reason. That's fair. So that would be my, you know, final thoughts on that. That's fair. Tracy. Yeah, I think at some level, the, um, the the analogy of the expressway is probably one of my favorite, which which is to recognize that we have a uh, we all have a collective thoroughfare, right? We all want to get to the same place, which is to be past this pandemic. Mm-hmm. But if you're on the expressway and you are not following the rules of the road, and you're that rogue person who doesn't stick in their lane, who speeds, who weaves in and out of traffic who rides on the shoulder, who bucks the rules that have been set down for all of us to behave in a normal sort of collective way. I, I don't know about you guys, but every time I see someone who break, you know, who's <laughs> riding down the, 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 the shoulder and then eventually does get caught by the police, I'm like, yes, there's some justice for us right now. But, but the point I'm making here is that I appreciate that th- that we're all trying to get some place to, to get past this. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that we all have different um, perspectives and different perceptions about what's happening and how we want to live our life. I also recognize that in this particular moment, if we are not all moving in at least somewhat of a similar space in a similar direction, that it's going to last longer. Mm-hmm. And Cordell, you know, that you are masking up and you are taking care of yourself and you are recognizing that you could possibly be a danger to somebody else. You're not the person who is taking away from all of us getting past this. The people who are getting who are getting in the way are the people who are actively saying, I will never mask. I will never social distance. I will never get vaccinated. They are not taking on board the idea of the collective direction that we need to go in to get past the pandemic. So I guess this is where I'll be the one who ends it on um, this pod. Like first of all, first of all, thank you, Dr. Tracy. Thank you, Cordell. Um, Thank you. Thank you. One of the things I will say is that if we're going to keep with the uh, analogy of the expressway, and I think it's very apropos, um, one of the things I thought about is the idea of drunk driving, right? Mm-hmm. And so everybody says we don't want um, society to govern us in our free responsibility, our free uh, free will. And free will is an outstanding thing. That's one of the things that allows us to govern ourselves in, or at least to discern from man from beast, right? Free will, the ability to operate. But if we allow free will to continue to just <laughs> govern our natural human instinct, then we wouldn't have, uh, you know, drunk driving laws. We wouldn't have things to actually uh, curtail our, you know, natural instinct to just kind of be selfish. And we have to be careful about allowing things into society saying that, hey, you know what? Um, Everybody should be able to do what they need to do and not take any personal responsibility. I started off this podcast by talking about the, the, the cart and how, you know, if we, everybody's put the cart away, in the parking lot, nobody would get dents in their cars. But, the, you know, here we are in the fact society, that's not true because some people are just too lazy or don't care or don't think about anything but themselves. They just say, hey, you know, I don't, I'll leave the cart in the middle of the parking lot as long as I'm able to drive away. That's sure. what's important. 
And that's really what we have in society. As long as I'm able to get away, that's what's okay. And, you know, the same thing with people on the uh, freeway. As long as I'm able to get home safely, I don't care what, you know, if I cause an, an accident behind me because I care about my life and my life is most important. And what we have to do is get away from the selfishness of the human identity, right? One of the things I do uh, like about what Cordell said, to your point, Dr. Tracy pointed out, I may not believe in a vaccine right now, but I do believe in protecting myself and protecting other people, right? There is a level of self-responsibility that we all have to own in society. And whether you believe in getting a vaccine or believe in, in you know, just staying social distancing, but you have to believe in something. But you cannot believe that everything around you is fake, fake news, and everybody else is, has conspiracy to try to take away your freedoms, Right. Because you can have your freedom to live, but you, you know, and you can have your freedom to be an asshole, but I have a freedom to call you an asshole and I have a freedom to tell you, and I have a freedom to tell you what you're doing is being an asshole to everybody else. And so we have to be careful about just operating with this thing of everybody, you know, should be able to do what they want to do um, because that's not the way the world works. That's not the way society works. And clearly that's not the way our bodies work. Right. And so um, once again, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. I tried to make it very high level and I hope that's what came off in this podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, it's so much to peel back from this subject. Uh, I obviously it's not something that's going to go away. Um, Dr. Tracy Cordell, I would love to have you back on if you're interested. I don't know, you know? Yeah, I, I'm interested. I, I, Dr. Tracy, I, I can tell you that, uh, I love talking to you. You know, sometimes it's it's really good to have these high level conversations because sometimes we can get into the micros of things, yeah, and not necessarily the macros and the macros. Sometimes when you're talking to the internet, you don't really get a chance to have those conversations. So I fairly enjoyed it. I, I did. It was a good. I did too. I think this was. I think beyond being fun and and discussing these topics with with somebody who clearly has very. Uh, deeply held beliefs and, and and perceptions about what's going on in the world, but also open to talk about what is and is not, you know, sort of the things that we agree on. And I think that that's, that has been very productive in this, in this conversation. So I think we've actually gone an, an hour over what we were supposed yeah. to. So. Yeah, we were, we did. And, you know, part of that technical difficulties, but also because um, I enjoyed this conversation very much. I had so much notes to do all these sound drops and everything, but I was so thoroughly engrossed in this conversation. I was like, I'm going to forgo that because I like where we're going. Uh, because, but that just makes it means that we have some more places to go. Um, should we, you know, decide to pick up this podcast in another, um, another time. So thank you guys so much. And with that being said, I'm a ride out with the song that I think we all really believe in is live now. Yes. It's a little bit morbid, but it's actually, um, from Nas, a street disciple album. And, um, it's something that, you know, I think it was a pretty cool. I'm going to tie it all in. So. All right. Live now. Right, there's no you. promise of a second yeah. time around. Put it down. we we'll just live. Live now, there's no reason why you shouldn't Everything is up to you, all you gotta do is just live Live now, we spinning, not under the ground yet We enjoying every second, yo Live now, don't forget to, bro Yeah, cause I promise you, you'll regret it, bro Picture my last days, will be so grim My daughter at my bedside, respirator in me 
eyes dilated, looking skinny, trying to smile, trying to say something, whole room will quiet down, just to hear my last words, tears fall down my face, you, why fear anything is now too late to, I'm dreaming of a time I was silked out, at the peak of my career, but I always chilled out, leaving mad money on the table at crazy amounts, I would hit the scene for a second and bounce, admit I did live a little bit, sweet pickle.